Well, thank you, everybody, for the warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to those of you in the hall, as well as those of you joining us on the online service. Uh, it really is my great privilege and pleasure to be back here again. So good to see so many of you here. And um, many of you are growing older, like me. <laughs> well, let me take this opportunity on behalf of our Trinity and Old Conference uh, that represent 21 churches. Wesley is one of them. On behalf of our 19 other sister churches, I bring you warm greetings from each and every one of them. And in particular, to wish all of you a blessed 139th anniversary. Happy anniversary, everyone. I also want to thank your Pastor Ray and the leadership team here for kindly extending this kind invitation for me to be here to share with you this morning and uh, to share with you the word importantly. So before we go any further, can I just invite you to just uh, pray along with me at this point? Come. Father, we come before you. We thank you once again for this wonderful day that we could come together as a family to worship you and to celebrate importantly 139 years of your faithfulness. To all of us here. At this point, we also want to continue to remember past pastors, leaders, members, friends who have contributed to the building of this church and the growing of this church. We thank you for all these faithful ones, because if not for what they have done, we would not be where we are today. And so for this, Lord, we are thankful for them. More importantly, we thank you for your grace, mercy, and faithfulness to all of us. And so this morning, even as we continue on in this worship to listen to your word, we pray once again, Father, that you prepare each and every one of our hearts. Fill us right now, Lord, with your spirit. Take away whatever distraction and help us be able to listen well and receive your word. And I may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, a story was once told of a man who always liked to say that whenever anything that happens to him, whether good <clears throat> or bad, he will always say this, this is good, praise the Lord. Well, this man also happened to be a very close friend of a king. And one day, he and his king friend went on a hunting trip. Unfortunately, a tragic accident occurred. Because this man accidentally loaded a gun and it accidentally went off and shot his friend's king's thumb off. And when the incident happened, instead of immediately apologizing to his king's friend, as usual, he made his usual remark, looking at his king's friend, he says, This is good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and so you can imagine, you know, his, this king friend of his, you know, was so mad at his friend, how could he says such a thing that he ordered this good friend of his to be thrown into the prison. And then about a year later, the king went on a, another hunting trip to an area where it was known where there were a lot of cannibals. Unfortunately, things went wrong and he was captured by the cannibals. And they were about to cook the king alive when one of them discovered that the king had no thumb on one of the hands. And this is bearing the one that had been shot off by his friend earlier. And so the cannibals being superstitious, what happened is they never ate anyone that was not 
whole. And so as a result of that, they set the king free. And when the king returned home, he was reminded of how he had lost his thumb. And he felt remorse. And he felt bad for the way he had treated his best friend, you know. So the king immediately went to set his best friend free. And when he met his best friend, he told his friend what had happened and how he was, he was spared by the cannibals alive because one of his thumbs were missing. And he said to his friend, you know, you were right. It was good that my thumb was blown off. Praise the Lord. I'm so sorry, my friend, to have put you in prison for so long. But you know, his friend, as usual, still replied, no, 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 this, this is good. Praise the Lord. And the king immediately replied, what, what do you mean? What do you mean this is good? Praise the Lord. Now, how, how could you being in jail for one whole year be good? And the friend replied, well, my friend, if I had not been in jail, jail I would have been with you in that hunting trip. You know, this may be a fictitious story, but I believe it teaches us an important Christian doctrine, and that is the doctrine of divine providence. You know, someone once said, history is not a trash bag of random coincidences blown open in the wind. Now, whoever said this must believe in God. Because if you believe in God, then the doctrine of divine providence teaches us that it Whatever that happens in our life, it always has a purpose, a point, and a plot. You see, the Christian doctrine of divine providence is the belief that we have a loving God who is actively at work behind the scenes of our lives. He's actively involved in the world and his control over all events, all circumstances, all outcomes that happens in our life. It is also the understanding that God's providential care extends all aspects of creation from the smallest details to the grandest events. It involves God's purposeful action, often seen as divine guidance, protection, and provision for all those who love and trust in Him. You know, of course, the question may be in the, in the minds of some of you, why talk about the doctrine of providence on the church anniversary? Well, I believe it's appropriate because it allows us really to reflect on God's faithfulness. And it fosters really gratitude at the same time, increase our faith and trust in God. But more importantly, I think it provides us an opportunity to celebrate and acknowledge God's guiding hand in the church past, present, and future. So that come what may, whether good or bad, we need not be afraid of the future because, especially when things unravel in our lives, because we know that we have a God who is in total control and in His providence, all things will eventually work out for the good of those who love Him. And so I pray that God, you know, will use my sharing this morning to encourage all of you to celebrate 139 years of this church birth. And for this purpose, you know, I've chosen the story of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament because I believe the doctrine of providence, divine providence, is most clearly demonstrated in the life of Joseph. Now, before we go any further, let me just provide some brief background, you know, for those of you, who, for the sake of those of you who may not be familiar with the story of Joseph. Now, we were told that Joseph was a favorite son 
of Jacob, and he was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And Joseph endured numerous trials from being falsely accused, imprisoned, and betrayed to eventually rising to to be the most or the second most powerful man in Egypt. And then now years later, what happened was Joseph's brother finally stood before him without realizing that he was their brother. And so when Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers, you know, there was a sublime reconciliation. But then after Jacob's, their father's death, his brothers began to be afraid because they felt that Joseph was all the while, you know, maybe perhaps have not really forgiven them for selling him into slavery. And now that the father's gone, he's out to exact vengeance. And so fearing for their lives, they came before Joseph in Genesis 50. And this is our passage for this morning that I'm going to read to you. And to their surprise, Joseph responded. Let me read Genesis 50, 19 to 21 first. And this is what Joseph said to his brothers. Remember, they were all very frightened. They came before him pleading for him to remember that on behalf of their father to have mercy on them. But this is what Joseph said. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. You know, this is the second time that Joseph had said something like this to his brothers. You know, the very first time that when he first revealed himself to them, this is what he said in Genesis 45, 4 to 8. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now for two years, two years now, there has been a famine in this land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. You know, I want you to notice this. This is a crucial, crucial moment in the history of faith. If you don't already know, the story of Joseph marks the birth of forgiveness. This is the first recorded moment in the Bible where one person forgives another person for the wrong that they had done to the other. But more importantly, it established another important biblical truth, and that is the idea of divine providence. Let me just say this, that I believe that Joseph's greatness lies in his ability to sense God's divine providence in his life. And this was finally confirmed when Joseph stated those memorable words. Let me repeat that again. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph said those memorable words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You know, nothing in Joseph's life that he now knew had happened by accident. The plot to kill him, He sailed to be a slave, the false accusation by Potiphar's wife, his time in the prison, 
and his disappointed hope that the chief butler, you know, didn't remember him and secure his release. Now, all these events might have cast Joseph into deeper depths of despair and hopelessness turn out in retrospect to be the necessary steps in the journey that God was preparing behind the scene for him. And that is to become the second most powerful person in Egypt so that he will be able to be capable of saving not only the whole country, but his own family from the devastating famine that was to come. You know, one of the things that we can learn from Joseph, and that is aside from his ability to sense God's providence in his life, is that Joseph, you know, had one of the necessary gifts in the making of a successful leader, and that is the ability to keep on going despite opposition, despite envy, despite false accusation and repeated setbacks. You know what? Through this, we learn this, an important truth. And that is, every leader who stands for anything in life will in time to come face opposition. You know, this cannot be avoided. Leadership without conflict is a contradiction in terms. Any leader elected to anything, any leader more loved or gifted than others will in time to come not only face opposition, but they will face envy and jealousy. Because rivals will say, why Why wasn't it me? And you remember some of the stories in the Old Testament, like Korah. You know, Korah thought about Moses and Aaron. They were jealous of Moses. It was what the brother thought about Joseph also when they realized that their father loved Joseph more than the rest of them. And of course, if you look at our Lord Jesus' life, and that was what he experienced also with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his days. You remember the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his days plotted to kill Jesus because why? They were jealous of Jesus. Matthew 27, 18 says that. And then as you look at the life of Joseph, again, you know, when, when we look at the false accusation that Joseph had to endure, you know, we also learn that this has occurred enough in history to show that all leaders will, in a matter of time, also face false accusation also. For example, you think of Joan of the Ark, Joan of Ark, accused of heresy, and she was burned at the stake. And it was not only a quarter century later that she was posthumously declared innocent by an official court of inquiry. And the most famous accusation of all in modern times was the trial of Alfred Dreyfus, a French officer of the Jewish descent. He was accused of being a German spy. And because of that affair, it rocked France, you know, between the years of 1894 all the way to 1906, before Dreyfus was finally acquitted. And of course, if you look at our list, it will not be complete if you did not include our Lord Jesus again. We all know that Jesus was falsely accused of blaspheming God by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his days that eventually led them to crucify our Lord on the cross. And the other thing, when you look at Joseph's setbacks and failures, you know, they are also the life story of the most successful people in life, right? For example, you think of J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. Did you know 
that when she first sent her draft of a novel, she was rejected by 12 publishers. 12 publishers. Another writer about children suffered 21 rejections. And the book was called what? Lord of the Flies. And its author, William Golden, who was eventually awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. And the last example, the most famous example, Steve Jobs. All of you know him. And you might remember his famous commencement address at Stanford University. The late Steve Jobs told the story of the three blows of fate or tragedy that shaped his life. First, dropping out of university. Second, being fired from Apple, the very company that he founded. Third, being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And rather being defeated by all of them, Steve Jobs turned all of them into creative use. You know, Winston Churchill, the former Prime Minister of England, once made this remark. He said this, quote, Success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm, unquote. Now, while Winston Churchill may be right in what he said, and that is, what sustains successful people through repeated setbacks is a belief in themselves, sheer grit, tenacity, and determination. You know, I'd like, however, to add, as I study the life of Joseph, I believe that in Joseph's life, the, the reason why he was successful is more than just a belief in itself. It's more than his sheer grit, determination, and perseverance that make him successful. I believe that what sustained and made Joseph successful was his insight into divine providence. You see, a plan was unfolding whose end Joseph at that point could only dimly discern. But at some stage in Joseph's life, he seems to have realized that he was one of the characters in a far larger drama in God's plan. And that all the bad things that had happened to him was necessary for God to prepare him to be the man that God would finally trust and entrust with that power and authority without letting power corrupt him. And this is evidence when Joseph finally said to his brothers, Genesis 45, 8, where he acknowledged God's providence by saying what? It was not you who sent me, but God. You know, in this statement of Joseph, I believe what allowed Joseph to survive you know, all these years, going through all the bad things that happened in his life without developing resentment about his past or despair in the face of the future or developing cynicism towards people. You know what? It is his willingness to let events work themselves out in accordance with God's providence. And also importantly, he understood that as human beings, we are at best no more than co-authors of our lives. And so what happened as we see, as we study Joseph's life, you know, Joseph continued to trust in God's providence. And because of that, God gave him immense strength to continue to bear all his negative situation that eventually helped him to emerge victorious and to be that leader that God wants him to be. And so the question before us this morning here is, how do we develop such belief and trust in God? like Joseph, and right on the wings of God's providence, especially, you know, when we are faced with difficult and challenging situations in our life.
And I'm pretty sure that some of you here are facing terrible situations in your life. And if you're not facing, you just wait. It's going to come. And so let me briefly just share with you three things that we can learn from Joseph on how to ride on the wings of God's providence. Now, firstly, I believe what we can learn from Joseph is that we must learn to forgive as Joseph did. You know, let me just say this, that betrayal is a very painful experience. It's a painful experience that leaves deep wounds. If you have never been betrayed before, you will never understand this. But if you have betrayed before, especially by a loved one, by a close friend, you will understand what I mean. And Joseph knew this firsthand. And you could just imagine the emotion that he must have felt when his own brothers, his own flesh and blood, turned against him and sold him to slavery. Can you imagine that? Your own siblings doing that to you? And yet in the midst of all this betrayal, Joseph knew that God was at work. God was at work orchestrating a grand plan of redemption. You see, Joseph's story teaches us that whatever malice other people harbor against us, whatever opposition people throw against us, the more successful they are, the more malice that is thrown to us. If only we can say like Joseph, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You know what? If we can say that and trust God like that, we will survive. We will survive like Joseph. Our strength intact, our energy undiminished. Because it is in these dark moments of our life that God's providence can bring about unimaginable blessing if only we learn to forgive like Joseph. And so listen, listen. You know, holding on to grudges and seeking revenge only hinders the work of God's providence in our hearts. Because if we continue to hold on to these grudges and wanting to seek revenge, you know, friends, the truth is this. We're only hurting ourselves. And more importantly, we may be even hindering the work of God's providence in our lives. And so that is the first thing that we learn from Joseph of divine providence. And that is, if we want to ride on the wings of God's providence, we must forgive everyone who has ever hurt us so that we will not hinder God's providence in our lives. The second thing I believe Jesus te- or Joseph teaches us on riding the wings of God's providence is this, and that is, we must accept every situation that happens in our lives, trusting that God knows best and that He will direct our steps. You know, when we embrace and accept all that happened in our lives, whether good or bad, we actually position ourselves to experience God's blessing and guidance. And just as Joseph accepted the betrayal of his brothers and forgave them, which eventually led to the reconciliation of his family, I believe our acceptance and willingness to trust God's plan in our lives can also bring about that restoration and healing in our own relationship. But of course, it's in God's timing. And as we accept all the situation that happens in our life and allow God's providence to guide us, you know what? We can also live in peace contentment, and joy. You know, another good example is to look at our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a good time. It's a period of Lent. 40 days where, you know, we spend time meditating, 
and the life story of Jesus. And so as we look at Jesus, we all know how our Lord Jesus accepted all that had happened in his life. We remember how our Lord was falsely accused, how he was betrayed, and lastly, how he suffered the most excruciating death. And all these, as you look at our Lord Jesus, he willingly submitted himself to God the Father. When he said at the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, 39, you remember what he said? My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be removed from me. Yet, not I, but as your will. And that's total acceptance and submission to the will of God and God's providence. You know, I've been mayor and English Baptist pastor and evangelist once wrote this. Quote, it is in proportion as we see God's will in the various S events of our life and surrender ourselves either to bear it or do it that we shall find earth bitter circumstances becoming sweet and its hard things easy. Unquote. You know, again, I don't know what you're going through. It may be our bitterness comes from a nagging illness that we're struggling right now. Maybe for some of you, it's a difficult marriage. Or perhaps some of you, there is a stinging critique in your life, you know, who will, will never go away. They keep on coming at you. Or maybe it's from regret, disappointment over what could have been, what would have been, if only someone had been less self-exalted. But let me say this, we may not understand all why all these bad things happen to us. But you know what? I believe what F.B. Mayer is saying to us, that we can sweeten the bitterness if we choose to see each circumstance as God's providential hand at work in us. And whether good or bad, willingly accept it by saying yes to Him and to His will. More importantly, we need to trust God that in His infinite wisdom, he has chosen this difficult place for us for only reasons known to him at this point. He has permitted all this intrusion in our life. But nonetheless, it is his will that we are going through all this at this point. You know, as someone once said, disappointment is his appointment. And I hope we can see it that way. If we can see it that way, that it's all part of God's providence. Then listen, listen then the painful events that happen in our life may, may seem cruel. It may seem capricious. But let me just say this. It is not. It has been screened through the infinite wisdom and the love of God long before all these bad things ever get to us. It is not the ill use of an enemy or an adversary, but it is the gracious will of a loving father and friend and a God allowed this to happen to our life. And so at this point, acceptance means we need to understand that since God is good, God will not leave us in a lurch, nor will He forsake us. He will keep us in His love. He will teach us the lesson He intends for us to learn in this difficult season of our life. He will work in us the changes He wants to make. He will give us the grace. We need to be brave in the midst of our calamities, our tragedies, so that we can continue to live as his children. And then listen, and then in his good time, 
either in this life or the next, God will deliver us from evil. You see, if we can accept that, the truth is that no tragedies in our life can ever shake our faith. Third and finally, I believe how we can ride on the wings of God's providence like Joseph is this, that we need to practice the discipline of surrender. Let me just say this, that to surrender is not easy for many of us, especially when we face trials and hardships. But you know, as we study Joseph's life, we realize that was precisely what Joseph did. He not only accepted the various situation that happens in his life, but he surrendered to God completely. More importantly, Joseph trusted in God's timing and plan, even when he seemed, when he didn't understand anything, when it was delayed or different from what he had expected. Even when he could not see it, what God was doing, he continued to trust God and surrendered to God. So let me ask you this question. Let me pause for a while to ask you to think about this. Does obedience to God obligate God to bless us? Or can obedience call us to sacrifice? Let me say that again. Does obedience to God always obligate God to bless us? Or can obedience call us to sacrifice? Think about it. You know, I think if we are honest, most of us would think that obedience should always end in blessing after blessing until ultimately we become healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? That's what most of us, I think, would believe. But let me say that this understanding is not entirely correct. A good example is to listen to this teaching of our Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus promised us many blessings. Yes, he does. But remember, he also promised us that there will be moments of sacrifice that he would demand from us. For example, in Mark 9, 49, Jesus once said this. He said this, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. You know, when Jesus said everyone will be seasoned with fire, he is not making any exception. What does everyone mean? It means everyone. It includes you and I. And what Jesus is saying from this verse here is this, that there will come a time when everyone, when you and I, will be asked to sacrifice for our faith in Him. And because of this, you know, friends, it is possible. It is possible that a Christian might do everything right and be a sterling example of tenacity, perseverance, holiness, and godliness, and yet they may end up being a failure. You know, you think of a Christian who is a businessman. He operates his business on principle of honesty, integrity, and good biblical values, and still he could go bankrupt. Or think of a Christian worker whose faithful diligent, obedient to respond to God's call, you know, to serve even in the toughest and poorest country in the world, and she or he may end up losing his or her life in the mission sphere. And I'm sure many of you would still recall Joseph Chen. 
you know, the person who served in YWAM, who passed away early last, I mean, last year, suddenly, he was a faithful servant of God, serving amongst the marginalized people in our country. And it's been a great inspiration to many, but unfortunately, a few months ago, he met with a tragic accident, and he just went on. And mind you, he was a faithful and obedient servant of God. Now, all these tells us and remind us that our faith is not only based on blessings, but it must also be based on the concept of sacrifice. And of course, if you look at our Lord Jesus, no one can deny that our Lord Jesus had lived the most obedient life to God than any others. And yet, what happened to our Lord? Our Lord was not delivered but he died the most inhumane death. Listen, you know, we don't choose the time or place in which we are born. Faith and surrender are based on the notion that God's good purposes will be worked out whether we see earthly, earthly blessings or not. You know, someone once said this, quote, the measure of true faith is not how easy or difficult life becomes. It's how we maintain a spirit of surrender through the ups and downs of everyday living. Unquote. I agree with that. You see, the truth is this. Trials in our life will cause us to change. They can either make us to be an ugly, bitter, cynical, and mean Christian, or trials, if we trust God enough, it can make us stronger humbler, and graceful Christians. And how we profit or are crushed by our trials largely depend on our state of surrender to God. So let me ask you this question again. Let me ask you. Have you ever asked yourself, why have you come to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever asked that honestly? Is it just to be saved from your sins? Or is it so that God would help you your financial situation, save your marriage, or provide your children with a blessed life. Now listen, you know, the discipline of surrender reminds us that when we come to Jesus, we are to offer ourselves as God's servant and to just honor Him by learning to live as He lived. That's, that's all. However, if we come to God to be amply provided for and yet find ourselves poor, you know what? chances are we will leave God. If we come to God to be made well, and yet we find ourselves still sick, chances are we may leave Him. And I'm sure you've heard stories of people leaving the faith because what they prayed for, the blessings that they asked for, was never answered. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, if we come simply to serve God and surrender to Him completely, then let me just say this, that no event in our life can steal our motivation or faith in God because we know that God will always be worthy of our allegiance and trust. If we come to Jesus to acknowledge His place as Lord of our lives, then when every possible door in life, a slam in our face, our ultimate purpose in life will still be the same, and that is to serve Him and to trust Him. You know, Christianity without surrender says this, 
If God blesses me, I'll be obedient. If times get tough, I'll try something else. But a Christianity that is born of total surrender to God is typified by what the great saint C.S. Lewis once said this, quote, I was not born to be free. I was born to adore and to obey. You know, while contemplating on this truth of surrender, the great Christian mystique, Jean Guion, wrote what may be the most profound reflection in all of Christian literature outside the Bible. And this is what she said, quote, If you gave yourself to Him, and that is God, to be blessed and to be loved, you cannot suddenly turn around and take your life at another season. Take back your life at another season. When you are being crucified, and she said this, God gives us the cross. And then the cross gives us Jesus. Unquote. Some of you like, what is this? Look on me. Well, let me just say this simply. What Jean Goyon is simply saying that is, you know, as we surrender to God, we must stop measuring our trials against our comforts, but instead measure our trials against their potential to draw us nearer to God and to make us more like Christ. That is in excellent what she was saying. You see, my friends, the, the point is this, that if we insist on controlling our lives, then the truth is this, your anxiety levels will rise. Your frustration will continue to reach, to, to, you know, to increase, and it may reach to a boiling point where you may end up losing hope. And the worst case scenario you may end up destroying yourself. However, if we surrender our control to God, you know what? The peace of God comes upon us. And not only the peace of God will come upon us, it will bring clarity and wisdom to our decision-making process. It liberates us from the burden of trying to figure out everything out on our own, but simply to allow us to trust His divine leading. And more importantly, when we, you know, Practice the discipline of surrender to God. It aligns our lives with His greater plans and it enables us to experience the fullness of His plans and purposes for us. Now, the story of Joseph is a testament to the transformative power you know, of God's providence. It reminds us that even in the face of betrayal, even in the face of severe trials, God is at work, working for the good of all who loves him. And so as we learn from what we learn from Joseph's example of forgiveness, trust, seeking God's guidance through the discipline of surrender, listen, the painful events in our life may seem cruel and capricious, but let me say that again, it is not. It has been screened through God's infinite wisdom and love long before God allows it to happen in our lives. It is not the ill use of an enemy or a adversary, but the gracious will of a loving father and friend who has allowed all such things to happen in our lives. You know, we may not understand all that is happening to us, but if we trust in His divine providence, then in His good time, in this life, or in the next, He will deliver us from evil. My time, I'm almost up. So let me just end with this quote, you know, by Corey Fenboon. 
Many of you know the story of Corrie Tembu, who suffered under the Nazis, you know, a lot uh, in the Ravensbrück, uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp. So this is the poem that she wrote. Quote, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in a weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows. He loves. He cares. Nothing this truth can dim. And he gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Uncle, let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you again for your word to us. And I want to pray especially for my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who may begin going through a very terrible time, a severe trial. Prayerfully, Lord, this morning they've heard you. That nothing that ever happened in our life is by accident. But in your divine providence, you have screened through all this and you have allowed it to happen. And I pray too, as they hear this, may they understand too that you have not forsaken them. But that this morning, understanding your purposes and plans, may they continue to trust your divine providence at work in their lives. And as they trust you, I want to believe in time to come, you will vindicate them. Thank you for hearing our prayers because, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.